Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles now and open Exodus chapter 3. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Exodus from slavery to salvation. Just a picture of the majesty of the Lord. And one of the things I love about working through a book of the Bible is we kind of see it from beginning to end. We don't cherry pick specific things that we want to talk about. We start at the beginning and we work all the way through it. Uh, and we see exactly how the Lord works and we see his power and his majesty. And really the first couple of books, the first couple of chapters of Exodus have been about kind of the history. We talked about the history of the Jewish people and Genesis and the, the beginnings of the covenant. But a lot of it, especially last week, was about Exodus, excuse me, about Moses and his birth uh, and how he made a mistake. He killed the Egyptian, fled into the wilderness. And we talked about how we really focused on Moses and what he had done. And really the begin, really the end of, of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, uh, it's almost like a, a switch has flipped. And we've gone from thinking about Moses and, and what he did and his life to thinking about God. And so really this study this morning, beginning in chapter 3, is going to be the majesty and the power and the glory of the Lord. And that's going to continue through the book of Exodus. We're going to see how he works, how he moves, and just a, a kind of a reminder, so you'll see it again this morning, from the beginning, God has had a plan. Now, these are not random events that happen apart from the others. From the beginning, God has had a plan in place. That plan has been to redeem his people to himself through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And even this morning, as early as Exodus chapter 3, we're going to see this picture, we're going to see his glory and his majesty through the burning bush this morning. So Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, we have it on the screen as well. If you forgot your Bibles, there's one right in front of you in a seat, hardbound book there. Take it out. We're on page 46, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We'll come back to that idea here in just a second. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. Now, I want to learn a lot about the Lord in this chapter. There's a lot to see, that there's a lot to, to, to understand. The burning bush is one of those, I've used this phrase, iconic moments in the book of Exodus. Very powerful. We've seen it before. But I want to think this morning about the Lord, especially what we can learn about Him through these verses. So here's the first truth I want you to get this morning. It's foundational to who the Lord is. It's foundational to Exodus 3. It's foundational to the rest of the book of Exodus. It's foundational to the rest of Scripture. Truth one, very simply, God is holy. God is 
holy. I remember several years ago, a t-shirt came out, and some of you may have had it, and maybe you still own it. It said, Jesus is my homeboy. Y'all remember that shirt? Do you use the phrase homeboy anymore? Is that even a thing? Probably not. I didn't think so. Yeah, when I say it to my kids, they look at me like I'm crazy. So I think I'm dating myself when I use that phrase. But it said, Jesus is my homeboy. Uh, you know, kind of the idea, Jesus is my friend, whatever phrase you want to use now. I don't know what the, the jargon is for the younger kids now, but that's what the shirt said. And I, I get the sentiment of it. I understand uh, the Lord is closer than a brother. I get that. But I, I worry sometimes in our modern society that we kind of see Jesus, we kind of see the Lord as our buddy, our pal, you know, our homeboy, as the shirt says. And again, I, I don't want to preach against that because the Lord does stick closer than a brother. But I think sometimes we miss the holiness of the Lord. <laughs> His absolute majesty and power and judgment and wrath oftentimes. We'll see that really through the book of Exodus. But we miss this truth that God is holy. Now, now Moses has been kind of tending the flock. He's been in the wilderness now for 40 years. And if you're kind of keeping track, and you'd have, to, you'd have to fast forward to Acts to get a better picture because Stephen in his speech talks a little bit about this, his final speech. He talks about Moses, but we know from the New Testament that Moses was 40 years old when he fled to Midian. He served and tended sheep for another 40 years. So at this point in Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, Moses is 80 years old. And the Lord has led him now to Mount Horeb. Now I want to make a connection here. Again, we're, we're trying to piece together this idea that God has a plan. These are not random events. God has had a plan from the beginning. So I want you to see kind of God's plan here when the Bible talks about Mount Horeb as the mountain of God. Now, most scholars believe that Mount Horeb here is the same mount that we'll refer to as Mount Sinai later in the book of Exodus. In fact, there are some scripture verses that talk about this. You don't have to look them up, but I want you to listen. 1 Kings 8 9 says that there was nothing in the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant is going to be built later in Exodus, but it's what the children of Israel carried around. They kept the Ten Commandments and the staff in there and some manna that God had given them. There was nothing in the ark except two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb. This is what we're talking about here in Exodus 3, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. Malachi 4, 4 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all the people. Right. So the mountain of God is another name for Mount Horeb. It's another name from Mount Sinai. Now, what's going to happen is Moses is going to leave this mountain. He's going to go. The people of Egypt, Israel, are going to come out of Egypt. They're going to go into the wilderness. God is going to lead them back to this mountain, refer to it as Mount Sinai, and then the Lord's going to descend on it with power and majesty and glory. Moses is going to go up on the mountain, receive the Ten Commandments. Right. So we're already seeing this idea that God has set things in motion. This isn't a random place. This isn't a random mountain. This isn't a random plan. God knows that Moses is here now. He's going to hear from the Lord first. He'll circle back many years from that day with the people of Israel. And God is going to speak to him again, right? His glorious, perfect, wonderful plan. But I want you to notice how the Lord speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, the Bible says, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. I love how one writer explained this. He said, the Lord clothed himself in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, one of the themes we're going to see throughout the book of Exodus is the glory of the Lord. 
his majesty and his power and his holiness and his might. And one of the ways that's demonstrated to us, one of the ways that the people of Israel see and understand this is through fire. And so Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24 says, The Lord is your consuming fire, a jealous God. And so this, this incidence where the Lord appears in a burning bush, flame that does not consume the leaves or the branches or the bush itself, is a picture, it's a kind of a precursor, reminding us, showing us of the power and the majesty of the Lord and how he'll oftentimes be seen as fire. There's something we can learn from this, right? As we're thinking about the holiness of the Lord, as we're thinking about his plan, as we're thinking about his will being done, like the bush, like the burning bush, God never runs out of fuel, right? He never stops, his glory never dims, his beauty, his power never fades. He is completely self Sufficient. So when you think about the power of the Lord and you wonder, is he strong enough to do this? Is he going to fade? Is he weaker now than he used to be? The answer is he's the same yesterday and today and forever. His glory doesn't diminish. It doesn't fade. I, I told the first service, I do something, right? I'm, I'm being transparent with you and, and confessing to you something that I know is not right. Theologically, I know that it's not right, but I struggle with it still. Sometimes when I uh, want to pray about something, if it's kind of small, I won't pray about it. Just something that I consider kind of insignificant. And, and here's why I do it. And again, this is wrong, but I'm helping you understand a little bit about my psyche and how we misunderstand the glory of the Lord. I don't do it because I think to myself, God is not interested in those trivial little things in my life. There's a lot bigger things that I can be praying about. So in my mind, I save up. All the little, I don't pray for the little small things and I kind of put them in my pocket. And then when there's something big that I need to pray for, I got enough change in my pocket. I can pull it out and ask the Lord to work in this big situation because I have not asked him to work in the small situations. That's a misunderstanding, by the way. That's wrong. That's a misunderstanding of the glory and the power and the majesty of the Lord because his flame never goes out. He's never going to be weakened by me asking him to work in my life. Even in the small things, it's not as if there's a limited amount of fuel or there's a limited number of prayers. And when I use that up on all the small prayers, there's nothing left for the big prayers. That's untrue. He's a consuming fire that never goes out. He's holy, majestic, powerful, self-sufficient. He doesn't need energy outside of himself. He never diminishes. He never gets weaker. And so the Lord comes to Moses. He speaks to him. And I want you to notice what he says here in verse four. Let's look at verse four of Exodus chapter three. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, this is significant. Verse five, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy Ground. Now, this is the first place in Scripture that the word holy is used. It's the first time the word holy is used. And holy has a very significant meaning here. The word holy means to separate or something that is set apart. And so we begin to kind of get this picture. Again, one of the, the beautiful things about working through a book is we kind of piece these things together. We gain this fuller knowledge of who the Lord is throughout the book of Exodus. So one of the things we see here is that the Lord is holy, he's separate, he's set apart. And that comes out now in verse 5 because when he speaks to Moses, he says to him, listen, don't come near. You need to take off your shoes because the place where you're standing 
is holy, right? So watch that we see this already understanding that God is holy and we are not. We see this idea of separation between who God is and who we are. This isn't the first time this has happened. You may remember the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve. God created everything good. He put them in the garden. He blessed them. They sinned. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. And the Bible tells us after he dealt with the serpent and Adam and Eve, here's what Genesis 3 22 says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowledge, good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, this is Genesis 3, 23, the Lord God sent him out. There's the separation. Sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, right? Sin enters the world. It separates us from God. 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There's no rock like our God. Hosea 1, 9, for I am God and not a man, the holy one in your midst. Isaiah, when he's confronted with the power of the Lord, when he sees the Lord, says this in Isaiah 6, verse 3, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Listen to how Isaiah responds. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here's how one writer explained it. Sinful humans cannot approach him. Holiness endangers the sinner because the holiness of the Lord is not a passive attribute, but an active force. Right, so we see all these examples of Scripture. Now watch, because I'm going to apply this to your life here in just a minute, okay? We see all these examples in Scripture of the power and the majesty of the Lord. We see His holiness. We see that He is separate from us. He's different from us. We can't come into His presence because we're sinful. And so if we kind of think through that a little bit, we begin to ask the question, listen, if God is holy and we're separate from Him, how do we come back into his presence? How can we speak to him? How can we ever be with him again? Well, the very simple answer is Jesus. We can't come into a holy relationship with God because we're sinful and he's not. And so when Christ took our place, when the Lord looks upon us, he doesn't see us and our sins. He sees Christ and his redemption and his forgiveness covering our sins. And so when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see our holiness because we're sinful. We're sinful. He instead sees the holiness of Jesus. Now that's significant for you because if you've never prayed to receive Christ and accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then you don't have that holiness. You don't have that righteousness. You don't have that forgiveness. And you can't, based on Exodus 3, Genesis 3, all through the Old and New Testament, you can't come into the presence of the Lord without Jesus. So we're already, this is one of the things I love about Scripture, we're already now seeing in Exodus chapter 3 our need for a Savior. 
Right? Hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, we already learned we can't come into the presence of a holy God. We can't enter his presence without something else helping us. We need a Savior. We're already now in Exodus 3, and it's not the first time in Scripture. We're already in Exodus 3 looking ahead to Christ, longing for this time when we can stand faithfully in the presence of God because the Savior has given his life for our sins. God is holy. He is all-powerful. He is self-sufficient. Now let's continue. Look at verse 6 of Exodus 3. The Lord's speaking again. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Right, The picture is becoming clearer to Moses. He's beginning to understand. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Remember, we looked at that word know last week and talked about how it's an intimate knowledge. God understands us. He knows our sufferings. Verse 8, And I've come down to deliver them out of the land, excuse me, out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Right? God is holy, number one. Here's second truth. God is the great I am. God is the great I am. Now Moses has been tending sheep in the wilderness for 40 years, right? It was 40 years when he left, so he's 80. A lot has changed, a lot has taken place. It's possible, the Bible doesn't say this, but it's possible Moses has kind of set that out of his mind. right? As far as he knows, he's done with that. He's been walking in the wilderness and tending sheep now for 40 years. That was a long time ago. It's done for him there's a chance that maybe he's moved on. And yet in the midst of this, God appears to him. And God says, listen, I've seen the affliction. I've seen the pain. I've heard their cries. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey, right? This is a tie back to Genesis chapter 12 when God had originally spoken to Abraham and explained he was going to make him into a great nation. God promised them the land of Israel, right? It's modern day Israel. The, the place on the map right now that we look of Israel is Canaan. That's the promised land. So God says, listen, I've heard their cries. I'm going to lead them out of Egypt, through the desert, into the promised land. But something very interesting happens in verse 10. I want you to see it. Pull up Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. I want you to notice exactly what the Lord does, right? I can just see Moses here. He's tracking along with the Lord. Yeah, man, you're going to rescue them. You're going to fulfill your promises. You're going to take them out of Egypt. You're going to walk with them through the... You're going to take them into the promised land. You're going to rescue them. Moses is probably getting excited about this. what's happening. And then all of a sudden in verse 10, the Lord speak, 
speaking to Moses, says something very different. Come, he says, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, so you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Right now, Moses has just been a shepherd for 40 years. He's been wandering the wilderness, kind of minding his own business. The Lord appears to him and says, I'm going to rescue the people of Israel, but I'm going to do it, Moses, through you. I'm going to call you now to go back to the place you ran from. I'm going to call you to go back into the house of Pharaoh that, by the way, Pharaoh said he would kill you when you left. I'm calling you to go back and accomplish what I've called you to accomplish. One theologian said this, the Lord never ceases to work. He never forgets, and nothing can foil his work or cancel out his promises. The Lord did not forget Moses. Moses did not know that by this humdrum existence, the Lord was training him for a life of work in which he would shepherd the Lord's sheep. All right, so all this time, these 40 years, God is still at work. He hasn't forgotten. He comes to Moses, and he calls Moses now to go back in and rescue the people. Here's the problem. Moses doesn't think he can do it. And so you've got this kind of fascinating period of time, really through the end of chapter 3, and we'll look at it next week, even the end of chapter 4, where Moses kind of argues with the Lord. I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. Why don't you do it? No, Moses, I want you to do it. And it's very interesting how this happens because Moses in verse 11 says to the Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Right? Then Moses said to God in verse 13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? Moses asked basically two questions. Who am I, Lord, and who are you? And who am I to go back? And if they ask, who are you, what should I say to them? Now, now I, I try to put myself sometimes in Scripture, and I've said this to you before. I often wonder how I would have handled this how I would have responded. And I just think if I'd been standing there and Moses said something like this, I probably, knowing our personality, would want to encourage him. Listen, Moses, you can do this. I mean, you've been wandering the the wilderness for 40 years. You understand what it takes to lead sheep and the Lord's going to use you to now lead people and you're from the house of Pharaoh. I know you can do it. I know you're good enough. I know you're smart enough. And listen, when we talk to other believers and we're trying to help each other through problems, it's very good to encourage one another. Very good to encourage one another. Be very positive what the Lord's doing. But I want you to notice what the Lord himself does. The Lord never says to Moses, you can do this. You're smart enough. You're good enough. Instead, look at verse 12. Go back one slide. I want you to notice what the Lord says. Moses says, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. Why are you calling me? Look at the answer in verse 12. This is what the Lord says. I will be with you. Now, we just glaze right over this, but here's what you need to understand. This is very simple. We're never good enough. We're never smart enough. We don't ever know enough Scripture. We never pray enough. We're we're never faithful enough. All the things that we think about in our lives, we're, we're not good enough to do those things. The only reason that we ever succeed with the things of the Lord is because He is with us. You understand that? That's a paradigm shift for a lot of people. All right, we think if I just do this, or if I just do this, or I just check off this box, or just read enough of these, or just give enough, or go enough, or say enough, or whatever it might be for you, we've all got kind of our own things that we like to do. If I just do enough of these things, 
I'll be good enough for the Lord to use me. What, what we understand instead is that we're never good enough. It's only because the Lord walks with us that we're able to succeed in the things he calls us to do. That's a big difference. One, one writer said it like this, Moses felt completely inadequate. The Lord responded by saying, of course you're inadequate. <laughs> he accepted Moses' sense of inadequacy as one of the facts of the situation, but then countered it by the adequacy of his own presence. The Lord basically says, listen, Moses, if you could do it, you wouldn't need me. But you will succeed, not because of your abilities, but because I'm going to be with you. And then maybe the, the, the most well-known verse in at least the first part of the book of Exodus, when the Lord says, listen, what if they ask me who you are or who sent me? What, what am I supposed to say? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I want you to think about this from a little bit different perspective. I want you to kind of understand what the Lord's saying here. Moses says, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Who am I, Lord? You kind of think through how you might respond. I don't know. And I have this conversation with people all the time. I don't know enough stuff to share my faith. What if somebody asks me a hard question? What if they ask me a Bible question that I don't know? And there's fear that comes from that because you don't think you can answer the questions right. You don't think you're going to respond, right? And so for a lot of people, that fear paralyzes them and they don't ever do anything. God says, listen, it's never been about you. It's always been about me. And it's about my presence walking with you. And so Moses says, listen, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. Listen, the Lord says to him, Moses, of course you're not up to the task, but I am. Of course you're not smart enough, Moses, but I am. Of course, you're not strong enough, but I am. Fast forward 2,000 years into your life. You say to the Lord, Lord, I'm not able to change someone's heart. And the Lord says, listen, of course, you're not able to change someone's heart, but I am. Of course, you're not able to make that sickness go away, but I am. Of course, you're not able to change the world, but I am. Of course, you're not able to fix your marriage, but I am. On and on it goes. It doesn't matter what question we ask. The answer is always, I am. The Lord says, I am with you. And in your weakness, my strength will be made perfect. And so it causes us to see things a little differently, doesn't it? It causes us to rely on the Lord a little bit more, to trust Him, to walk with Him. And so our thought process ought to be, listen, instead of trying to uh, think through how I can fix these things in my life, what I ought to be doing instead is figuring out how I can walk more closely with the Lord. You want to fix the problem in your life? I really don't care what it is. The answer is going to be walk more closely with the Lord. I promise. You're never going to be disappointed. Right? We work so hard to fix things and kind of forget about our walk with the Lord. Just walk with Christ. Grow that relationship. Deepen that trust. Deepen that hope. And as we do it, we begin to realize, I can't accomplish these things, but the Lord says, I know you're not able, but I am. He's the great I am to every question we ever ask. Now, we need to wind this down. Look at verse 15, Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. So God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord your God of your fathers, of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. 
saying, I have observed you and what you have done, what have, has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of the land of the, to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you will not go empty. Verse 22, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them in your sons, on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Right? We're going to see this played out after the Exodus, after the Passover, as the people are leaving. God is going to give them great wealth. We'll see this played out. Gold and silver. Here's what I want you to see this morning as we finish this up. We've seen that God is holy and powerful. We've seen his majesty. We've seen that God is the great I am. And then truth number three, God is past and present and future. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. We need to be reminded that the same God that led the people of Israel out of Egypt is the same God we serve today. The same Holy Spirit that worked in the Old Testament is the same Holy Spirit that's at work today. God doesn't change, right? He's the same as he always has been. And so he kind of reminds Moses of this. In verse 15, he says, Say to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has sent me to you. God reminds Moses of the past. You know, sometimes it's good for us to remember the goodness of the Lord in years past because you probably have already experienced this, but if you haven't, you'll probably come to this place where you uh, struggle a little bit or your faith is challenged or you're forgetful, or sometimes your trust in the Lord wanes, it's good for you to be reminded of the goodness of the Lord in the past. All the things He's done for you. All the ways in which He's blessed you. But it's not just God of the past, it's also God of the present. Look at verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, right, this is what's happening now. Go talk to the people now. Don't just think about the past don't just think about what I have accomplished. Think about what I'm accomplishing now. And so we ask ourselves the question, what, what's the Lord doing through my life right now? Not what he used to do, not what he's going to do. What's he doing now? Like, How can I live for Christ today? How can I live for Christ at lunch today? How can I live for Christ this afternoon? How can I live for Christ in the morning when I go to work or when I go to school or I go to cheerleading practice, or football practice, or whatever that looks like for you? How can I live for the Lord when I go on that business trip next week? How can I live for the Lord when I take some time off in a couple of weeks? How can I live for the Lord now? Like, what's he doing in my life now? He's the God of the past. He's the God of the present. And then verse 17, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Right there, there's this future hope as well. God has been... God is at work now. God will work in the future. Now, here's the problem. I alluded to this in the beginning, and I'm going to finish with this this morning. The problem is we think about the hope of the Lord and what he will do and what he can do. We don't have patience. We live in a now generation. I want things now. 
Like if my movie doesn't download now, I'm frustrated. If I have to wait in line at, at Starbucks, I'm mad. If there's four or five cars in front of me at Starbucks, I need that now, right? I, I need my white chocolate mocha now. I don't want to wait two minutes for that thing, right? I need it now. We live in this world of instant gratification. And so we start thinking about waiting and patience. Sometimes we get sidetracked. Remember, Moses had waited for 80 years. 80 years for this moment. And then God called him to do great things. You know, be patient, trust the Lord, know that he's always at work. Because here's the beautiful thing about the plan of the Lord. It's always been at work. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you at home. No matter where you've been, where you are now, God is the God of hope, past, present, and future. He wants to work. He wants to use you. And here's the most beautiful part about all of it. You think I'm probably not good enough. I'm not smart enough. You're right. Neither am I. It's only because the Lord has called us and walked with us. And so grow your faith, grow your hope, grow your trust. I've allowed the Lord to use you for the sake of his kingdom, and I think you'll be amazed at how he works. Now let me pray for us this morning. We're going to be done. Father, we thank you again for your majesty and for your glory and for your power. We thank you for this beautiful picture in Scripture, Lord, that you're building for us, that you're painting for us, for us to see your goodness, your plan at work, all you've done and all you're going to do. Father, help us to understand your holiness. Help us to see and understand you're the great I am. Help us to see that you're the God of the past and the present and the future always at work in our lives. And then give us the strength we need to hear from you. Walk with us to accomplish great things. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.